This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What is up, Nate? Hello, Aaron and EE Podheads out there. Um, Aaron, as is now tradition, are you looking forward to tonight's big video game release, Pokemon Sword and Shield? Big Pokemon Sword and Shield fan, love to catch uh, Charizards. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Valiant effort. That was okay. Thanks. Great. Well, I hope you've got uh, plenty of of Charizards in there for you to catch. (laughs) Is that, I mean, is that what they're called? Well, you know, how how would you say, uh, okay, so you took it from Lizard. Yeah. Um, I guess take it more from like, uh, I don't Power Rangers. Uh, what's the? Where do you get Zard from? Zard. It's like a. It's more I, like a dinosaur than a lizard, maybe you know. Yeah, I have no idea. So Charizard Char- Char- is the point. Char- yeah. Charizard. Yeah. Charizard. Okay. Yeah. Char- <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can buy it. Okay. <laughs> so we got that going on, and we're also joined by Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. I'm doing all right. I am in the Spears compound for the week. I am on location. So, you know, it's nice getting out of South Carolina when the weather got really crappy. And it's like 70 degrees and rainy. And I feel like I'm being smothered by a wet hot blanket. So, you know, you trade good for the bad. All right. Cool. I'm glad you're here. I want to tell you all about something very special. It's our Twitter account. It's at everything AEW. Make sure you're following us. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, yeah, that's Fuji with two eyes, like Don Fuji. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and getting this show every, uh, you know, late Thursday night, early Friday morning, essentially. If you're listening to us on the podcast app, give us a rating, a five-star rating and a review, please. And of course, make sure you are subscribed to the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash everything elite i forgot to give the url last week as we launched it and amazingly we still have gotten a a very nice response uh, as far as subscriptions go Uh, we're gonna talk i'm gonna tell you a little more about the patreon in case you uh, haven't heard but here's what else we're gonna talk about tonight we're gonna do elite or delete we're gonna run down dynamite talk about everything i i bet we'll talk a little bit about full gear and uh, of course gonna tell you about the ratings but first, let me plug this Patreon, baby. It's uh, basically, we thought, you know, let's talk about uh, some other stuff besides just Dynamite for an hour or so a week. So we want to talk about some other stuff we really like. We launched this Patreon. Uh, a, a good number of people have signed up already, which we appreciate. For $3, you'll get AEW Lite every Wednesday. That's me and Mike giving you a preview, about a 20, 25 minute preview of that night's Dynamite. And you'll get one bonus show per month, which I'm about to tell you about. $5 will get you all our bonus shows. 
So on Monday, we dropped This is Cody with me and Rich Krejci from Voices of Wrestling. That's the kind of stuff you can expect on the Patreon. I know Nate is working on an episode of Kidani Cast, which is going to mainly feature things related to New Japan and stardom and maybe like uh, Bang Dream. There might be some Bang Dream talk I could see in our future. If I can get away with it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you guys, Patreon, baby. You can get away with anything. Uh, into the Codyverse, I'm sure Nate's going to be reviewing Enzo Amore's uh, appearance in Hog. I mean, that's a AEW adjacent promotion that's going to be covered on Into the Codyverse. Might have to refer that to Aaron Tab because I'm not sure that's making Fight TV. So might have to get uh, Aaron Tab on assignment to go uh, meet the real one himself. Speak, speaking of Aaron Taub, the Aarons are back. We're going to be, we might be recording soon. You might be hearing from the Aarons soon, but I hate to plug anything until it's like actually happening. I know Mike is working on something fun for breaking strong hearts. Yeah, it probably might be by the end of this month or the start of next month. It'll be the launch of breaking strong hearts, which I'll give a little teaser to it. If you ever have wanted to know how the Dragon Gate split happened and how Shima started this OWE thing, check out Breaking Strong Hearts because we'll be talking about it from every angle. Woo! Uh, we also, with the $5 feed, we got some uh, written content. Mike and I do some nerdy-ass spreadsheets. You can get those. They're pretty fun. And then for the real EE heads, $8. Uh, you can subscribe to the Inner Circle tier. Uh, we'll follow you on Twitter. Everything AEW will follow you on Twitter. You'll get a sneak peek at our run sheet for the Thursday show and uh, some other run sheets for other bonus shows. The key to this is nothing about the free show is changing. We'll be coming at you every week on Thursday night. That's when we record at least. And uh, we're just going to be doing extra stuff off the Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash everything elite. Subscribe at any tier. And uh, you can already catch the full gear re instant reaction show that we did. We'll be doing those for all the pay-per-views. This is Cody. And Mike and I did... AW light yesterday morning. It's a little dated because, you know, dynamite already happened, but check it out for uh, next week. And we feel really good. We'll have something new for you on Monday. Anything you guys want to say about the Patreon before we move on? Yeah. I just want to emphasize that uh, this show is still, you know, ha uh, focusing on the same topics with the TV happening last night, still coming out on Thursdays, late on Thursdays. Want to give a shout out to my uh, idiot friend, Dave, who texted me, at work this morning was like, where's the, where's the EE pod? Where's it at? It's not in my feed. You guys took the show to the Patreon. I'm like, no, we've never put it out on Thursday mornings. Um, you're very dumb despite all of your, uh, expensive education and it'll be out later tonight. So that's not changing. That's right. We're not changing. Uh, I don't know. I was going to do something with that, but I lost it. X out and that's right. Go subscribe to some other Patreon. No, don't do that. Afraid of its own shadow. That's right. Now, don't do that. Subscribe to our Patreon, please. We'll be bringing you lots of cool stuff. Let's talk about ratings. We will hit these quickly. AEW comes in at 957,000 viewers, a .43 in the demo. This is basically a reset to before the World Series. They were at 963,000 and a .45 in the demo that week. They're up substantially from the last two weeks. This is a great showing for AW's ratings. Uh, this is getting kind of boring to talk about the ratings every week, but it's good <laughs> to note that they can get back to a good place and that they're not like hot shotting too much stuff to try to pop ratings. Yeah, I have two points on this. Uh, one, I was 
correct that AEW really like withstood NXT's best shot because they ran all these angles with NXT talent invading Raw and SmackDown and then sent AJ Styles and people to NXT. Despite that, AEW beat them in the ratings that week and uh, you know NXT basically reverted to their pre-angle status here with their viewership. So, you know, that's a good indicator. None of those angles or their hot shotting uh, actually really put a dent in AEW now that it's bounced back. Um, And I forgot my other point, so I won't say it. It's interesting to see, like, now we are week seven, and I have my spreadsheet up right now. And if you take out the World Series weeks, guys, and you take out the premiere, we don't really have enough data to say, okay, this is the trend. But we're kind of saying that this, we might have the beginning of a trend that it seems like that they're kind of stable at 0.43 to 0.46 in the demographic. And then with the demographic being that it's anywhere between uh, about 950 to a million viewers. And of course, this can all change over this. I mean, we could see how a show like this can maybe get more people to turn in on Tuesday, maybe more people or on Wednesday, not Tuesday. Sorry. And we could see how more people might be kind of frustrated with what's happening across the channel dial with NXT and just say, you know what, they're never following up on this whole thing. So I'm not bothering spending my time with it. So this is strong. I mean, I'm looking at the demographics right now. And actually, amongst most of like the pretty big demographics that matter, they've been they're actually close to being up and a lot of them in comparison to where they were pre-World Series. I mean, when you look at it, the 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 men and women under 49 to 18 to 49, they're both up on after the World Series when you compare it to the the October 23rd edition. So it, they're in a pretty good place. It was against pretty hard. Uh, it was a pretty tough night because a hard competition night because I had the Country Music Awards on. So that kind of cleaned up a lot of things. And I think that we kind of have a good idea of where things are going forward now with AEW. Now that we kind of have this, I don't like calling it like a floor, but we have kind of like an idea of where they're kind of sticking. Yeah. My other point was uh, I stole from friend of the show, TJ Hawk, which is uh, he was talking about how this was not a particularly loaded episode of AEW in terms of what was advertised. You had the tag team title match on top, which while you've got Jericho and he's like your biggest star, really, um, you know, it's against SCU who is over with this audience, but it's probably not over with the, the wider casual audience. Um, and other than that, you had like a Moxley promo. Um, you had a, a third rematch of Pack versus Hangman Page. So, you know, they weren't throwing everything in here. There was no promise of Cody. There was no promise of Kenny. Uh, there was no, you know, uh, advertised Young Bucks match. So and, and yet the not only was the show good, despite that degree of difficulty, it still attracted that core audience of, you know, just under a million people. So uh, I think that also bodes well for them just continuing to do their show and then telling the stories they want to tell. As for NXT, they were at 750,000, a 0.25 in the demo. This is, you know, this is up from the world series from before the world series. So they have improved. There's no doubt about that. But the question is, you know, we already talked about all the help they've, they've gotten from the main roster the fact that they had actual main roster people on the show and that, you know, there were SmackDowns and Raws that were almost entirely devoted to promoting NXT. So you would expect them to be up. Uh, we'll see if they're able to create any sort of uh, long-term audience. But 
as much as I mean, I love seeing a WWE property get beaten by anybody else, but the NXT thing, their ratings have really gotten boring to me. Like, I really don't care. Uh, the AEW thing, I, I'm interested to track a because, like, I want to see this thing succeed. That's so. That's a thing. There's all this talk about well, who cares about the ratings? But it's like that is going to determine whether this gets to stay on TV. And I would like to see it stay on TV. So that's why I'm interested in it. Yeah, and this is their number one revenue driver. Like they can make so many, so much money off tickets and so much money off merch, but the real money is coming in the TV rights deals. That's been the story of televised sports for the last 30 years. So if you're saying like, oh, ratings don't matter, it's, it's non-existent, then you're either coming at this with a bad faith argument or you're just completely out to lunch. So that's why I think it's going to be interesting to kind of focus on the slimmer demographics, like the 18 to 34s, the 34s to 49s, just to kind of get an idea of what's who, what kind of people are coming to the show, and then further track like who are the the ratings drivers and who do people turn off the, the television for going forward. Because you're right, this NXT thing, like unless somehow John Cena and Hulk Hogan show up at full sale, they've shot their shots. Like there's only like one or two bullets left in this clip here. So we'll see how things go. Forward and of course AEW could do something terrifically dumb and things could tank and things could become a little bit more heated again. But really, it's kind of just seeing how this grows and who causes this grows from this point. See, I do think it is interesting to keep an eye on the NXT ratings though because I'm interested to see how surreal the show can get when they go all the way in on hot shotting shit. Like, I want to see them brand a random Wednesday night is NXT TakeOver Ascent, and they just do ladder matches for every single match up and down the card. Because that seems to be their strategy to this point. It's just more ladder matches. So that, to me, as a appreciator of the absurd in pro wrestling, is kind of interesting. The cool thing is that... Uh, now, Aaron Taub has had this take for a long time that we were about to see the end of WWE hegemony, which I think has like already been proven. I, I was also just a, a originator of that take. He just branded it better than me. I want to... He okay. did. He added me to his official hashtag on that point. So I just, I, I want to pay respect to him by mentioning that he did that. Sure. Sure. That's true. Uh, and that has already been proven true. Uh, I think we're watching the death of WWE as we know it. I think they're proving through NXT and through their main uh, products that they have no idea how to build an audience anymore. They're able to hotshot and, and pop numbers occasionally, but they have no way of, engaging especially young people and building an audience and i think we're gonna see raws under two million viewers soon i think well i mean that's almost for sure uh smackdown i think will follow not far behind and we're gonna see this company get in a really bad place and uh, either they will have to sell this company at some point or the tv rights when they come up for renewal they're just not going to be renewed at these type of numbers because i mean this is well known but without this tv money they would be uh, in the red this year they they would be losing money yeah so, and this this is like their most valuable property is their tv rights and right. the other thing they're also staring down the barrel of because let's be frank Vince McMahon is almost 74 years old he is not a healthy person and even though this current administration has done a lot to roll it back there's there's this big looming specter of how do we pay for everything we're going to inherit when vince dies with the estate tax so I think it's really the countdown until we see them selling to like Disney, WME, or CAA going forward. I think that's like the big thing. But yeah, no, 
it, it's it's going to be an interesting thing in the next four next three years really when they have to start negotiating these new TV deals within a 76 year old Vince McMahon and their prospects for the futures because we are kind of seeing the first circling of the terrain in my mind. Yeah, and really the that Vince has to be phased out in the you know near to medium term uh, confirms that it's not going to be the WWE as we've known it. Regardless, you know, even if they manage to turn things around and start, uh, you know, putting putting interest into their brand equity instead of just barring against their brand equity all the time, which is kind of what they're doing with the hot shotting and just putting every fucking superstar in every show. Um, even if they turn that around, like Vince is going to die soon or retire soon or, you know, <laughs> the XFL is going to happen soon. So there has to be there's going to be, you know, a big schism really between you know, during vents and post vents. So, uh, yeah, I just, you know, it, it'd be great if they just spend up all that brand equity in the meantime, and we can have a, uh, a real pro wrestling program take uh, precedence. Yeah. I guess my take that is that within the next seven to 10 years, either the McMahons will not own this company or it will cease to exist. That's my, It'll, take. it has to exist in some fashion just because the brand is the dominant brand. Like even though it's sure. bad, even though it's bad, like, Disney will want to own the brand just because that's the brand. So yeah, you know, it, it very well could like not have anything to do with the current structure of the WWE, but it'll even, even then it'll be like, Hey, WWE nostalgia brand coming at you in, you know, however many years. So, and you know, now that we have uh, siphoned off some things that we can put on Patreon, I can air out these, uh, these takes about the death of WWE. It's very exciting, but that's not what you're here for. You're here to listen to elite or delete the biggest draw in professional wrestling audio, obviously. So if you're new to the show, what we do here is we pick our elite picks from this week's Dynamite and our delete picks, basically what was good and what sucked. And uh, we just go through those. So I'll start with you, Nate. Give me an elite pick for the week. My elite pick for the week, even though I thoroughly canceled him last week, is Y2J, the Lionheart Chris Jericho. Uh, I was just sort of struck when I was thinking about this television show by how fortunate AEW is to have him on top as the champion. It does a lot of things for them. It gives us great segments like the MJF and Chris Jericho uh, promo off that we had on this episode of Dynamite. Uh, he's showing up to work on basically every television at this point. Like, you know, they can advertise Chris Jericho matches and get some casual people out to the stadiums to fill the seats and expose them to the wrestling, which is great. And just in terms of what he's uh, bringing to the promotion by being with the sort of young people's wrestling and with the new look of professional wrestling, with being unselfish and, uh, you know, he's been unselfish his entire career, but not a lot of guys would like take a pinfall from Scorpio Sky and then sell it at the end of the show and just throw shit all over the ring and put over that he was pissed off about losing to Scorpio Sky. Um, and then just the like uh, uh, the 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 social media presence and like celebrity presence that he sort of brings that awareness of him to people outside of the elite bubble. Like I, I just think it's remarkable, and it also gives him a good storytelling device in that you know it, it, we have this group of elite that's all the vice presidents and hold all the power in the company. The only way you can have something that's like reasonably opposed to that is you have the other group led by their champion, who's also the biggest star in your promotion. So it's like. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense that Chris Jericho is being shitty to all of his bosses all the time on here, but 
It's also Chris Jericho, and he's the biggest star, and he's going to wield some power in that regard. And he lets LAX borrow that power. He lets Sammy Guevara borrow that power. He lets those guys underneath him borrow that sort of clout to bring into their own feuds with their own vice president. So uh, I just, you know, he's like the key element of this promotion right now. Yeah, and the, to further illustrate your point, Nate, uh, my mom, who I think I've talked about on the show, only knows of like four pro wrestlers, and she brought up Chris Jericho today, like out of nowhere, and it has like that level of like normie kind of sh- crossover that the elite and Kenny and all of them don't necessarily have, but people know of Chris Jericho, and some of that is if it's able to get to a near 64-year-old woman from Ohio who these people are, then that's it's not exactly the prime demographic they want, but that's the crossover like mainstream appeal that you're not necessarily going to get from the elite and like this. And Jericho has been hitting on, on, on all marks on that lately. Yeah. Not only is he loaning that power to Santana and Ortiz and Sammy Guevara, but he loaned it big time to MJF this week on TV. And to his credit, MJF stood toe to toe with Jericho and did not look like a lesser uh, promo or lesser interview talent. I mean, he, he is, I guess in the grand scheme of things, but he stuck right there with Jericho, and so it worked perfectly. I kind of thought MJF was, you know, it, it's kind of stupid to do a comparison, but Jericho had his zingers in there, but sort of stepped on him a little bit, whereas MJF was like maximum confidence, full clarity of what he was saying, hung right in there with him, went eye to eye, and like, you know, had, had the timing and everything down perfectly. So, yeah, not only did he stand toe-to-toe with him, like he kind of got shine on him a little bit. And, you know, to piggyback a little bit off this, Nate, my elite for this week would be the AEW superstar machine because I feel like this week more so than really any other week so far, we are seeing people who are now true superstars, not just because of, oh, Darby went head-to-head to Chris Jericho, but on Darby's own merits, he came out there and at that time of the night was the most popular person out there, was getting chance and was able to have such command of presence. And it's not just like Darby and MJF. It was Wardlow Day. And Wardlow and his debut completely just got over huge. I mean, he was able to put down the face of the company in a really devastating way. And now he's with he's attached to someone who is a major commodity in the promotion. And that's another example of it. And the people that I think we everyone had just cut bait on and just been like, they're nothing, they're done. Dark Order the crowd has finally kind of turned around to dark order that, yeah, now they're actually, instead of getting dead silence, they're getting booed consistently. And they seem to finally have some level of uh, confidence in their wrestling and in their characters that was not there any time before now. So I think that the AEW superstar machine, when you like look at these five people I've mentioned, that's not even getting to people like Riho who has done, has become a superstar on her own merits as well. That, AEW like has now introduced like a fresh class of wrestlers to the mainstream consciousness that we have not seen and probably since the shield probably if we want to go like that like so we're talking six or seven years of getting like a fresh crop of wrestlers who feel like actual stars and the last night was really just kind of like the the icing on the cake of that I do want to say I did not cut bait on the dark order I uh, preached patience with the Dark Order. I said they usually got the crowd by the end of their matches. They just needed some better packaging up front that the crowd wasn't immediately turned off by them. Um, you know, not to call out any errands in particular, but uh, some errands uh, maybe jump to judgment on acts like the Dark Order. 
Uh, Aaron Taub uh, jumped to judgment on Wardlow, the next big star, and uh, wanted to cancel Wardlow right out of the gates. So, you know, just a little bit of patience goes a long way. Well, I hate to kind of go against what you all have said, but uh, a person who was not a beneficiary, in my opinion, of the AEW star-making machine is my elite pick, and that is Luchasaurus, who I think is a really organic AEW star. Like, the crowd just decided to take to Luchasaurus, and they haven't really put him in big-time positions like to get big wins or anything like that, but they were able to maximize this luckily short time off that Luchasaurus had. It looked like it might be a really bad injury. And honestly, Marco Stunt did his job for the couple of weeks that Luchasaurus was gone, and this played out perfectly. And now it helped that they were patient with Dark Order because that helped build the the heat for Luchasaurus's return, letting Evil Uno on the mic to flex a little bit of muscle. That way I think was good. And then Luchasaurus comes out, the crowd goes nuts. And this is a guy that you can make, you can have be a star uh, right now. I mean, at least there's too many people, I think, in the in the main event scene. So, but in the tag team scene, I think you can make him and Jungle Boy big time stars. Yeah, I, um, I liked what they did by having Marco be sort of the scrappy guy trying to step up for his friends or whatever. But having him in a role more of like a, a mascot for that tag team, I think is perfect for him. They put the baby Saurus mask on him, which is perfect. Um, our, our friend Oatgan said he should be like the Kemanito of the group, which is the, uh, if you have, if you've only seen pictures, he's a little person in CMLL who wears like the blue gorilla suit. That's perfect. Cause then Pentagon and uh, the dark order and whoever else in the tag team division can just beat the shit out of Mark uh, Stunt for heat and then have Luchasaurus come in and be the daddy dinosaur basically and lay waste to them. Um, so that that's a great sort of niche for the act, I think. Um, <laughs> the daddy but, dinosaur. <laughs> he did. He, he's like not 100% though, right? He seemed a little bit slow, Luchasaurus coming out. That's probably true, but you don't have to throw him in a match soon. You know, you still got a couple of weeks probably before you, you need him to wrestle in any real way. So, And you can still put him in trios matches and kind of hide him a little bit if he's not all the way back yet. I'm going to delete first. I'm going to I'm going to jump uh, the order here and delete because I want to delete some WWES booking. Now, we already complained. Nate started this by complaining about the Pack versus Page rematch on Twitter, and we got a lot of pushback on that. I was surprised. We're a pretty positive, I think, show and a pretty positive Twitter account, but we got some pushback. So I want to double down. On that, because I said on the Full Gear Instant Reaction show, if you go back and listen to that, or if you if you've already heard it, that I didn't mind it if Page won again. Now that concerned me because you don't want Pack taking that many losses that close and you know he's been built pretty well, but I hated the idea of bringing him on here, uh, put him a, another rematch, you know, within one week and trading losses. And exactly what I thought would happen happened is that. I think Page had to get beaten pretty definitively, and I don't think Adam Page is better off after that match than he was. He was really hot coming off that win at full gear. The crowd was really hot for him, a crowd that wasn't that hot. The crowd was pumped for Adam Page. I thought it was a star-making performance, and it's not like he got buried. I'm not saying anything like that. I just think he's had to take a step back. So there's that. I don't. Nate is just itching to talk about this, but I got one more point, and that is the pin the champ booking, which I guess isn't just a WWE thing like New Japan does that, but I hate it. it. And this is another thing I got pushback on. I finally had to stop 
uh, responding because I needed to go to bed, but I thought I would talk about it on the podcast. And that's, okay, Emi Sakura pins Riho. I hated that. I thought that was a really bad way to set up that uh, match. You could have done it a million other ways. Now, we have this tag match, the main event, where Scorpio Sky pins Jericho, as Nate mentioned earlier. And the idea is that they're setting up a match between the two. Now, a lot of the arguments back to me were, okay, but they're establishing that SCU is a real tag team, which first of all, no, they're not, because they just got put together a few weeks ago in this tournament. Uh, but I'm willing to buy that argument, okay? So a, a He's real- He's referring to the Scorpio and Kazarian pairing of SCU. Right, right, right. I don't necessarily agree, but before people are like, they've been together for years. Sure, right. No, I, I understand that, but this is not the normal tag. Okay, so, but you want your tag team champions, you want to put over that they can beat a team of two singles wrestlers that's thrown together. I'm for that. You can, of course, pin Sammy Guevara, who is in this match. But then people's reaction to that is, okay, but they wanted to set up Scorpio Sky versus Chris Jericho. Okay, there have been a ton of matches throughout the history of pro wrestling, and they haven't all been set up by the champion being pinned by his eventual challenger. There are other ways to do it. So I just don't like it. Now, it doesn't hurt as much with Jericho because he's not like a dominant champion. That's not the way he's booked. That's not the story. He uh, he <laughs> shit, often uh, gets out of these things, right? Like he gets Cody by MJF throwing in the towel. Then he comes out and cuts a promo about how he beat Cody. You know, like it's beautiful stuff. So Hager, like, Hager interfered in the Derby title match. Right. So it doesn't bother me as much, but it's if that is the only one, if the Riho one hadn't happened, I'd be like, okay, this one makes sense, but I'm worried about a pattern here. So that's my take. WWS booking, delete it. Uh, pro wrestling didn't start with WWE. All these, okay, I got one more point. I'm sorry. All these people calling out Nate for saying, hey, three-way dances have always had uh, disqualification. That's, that's mine. That's mine. So st- let me take that one. Okay, I'll shut okay. up about that. But we don't have to take our cues from WWE just because that's been the major pro wrestling company. AEW can create any rules they want. So that's it. Delete, delete. That's all. <laughs> okay. So I do, I mirror your deletion, obviously, because I did tweet about it of the rematch for the third match, especially it just sucks to do a rematch of a pay-per-view match that you just ask people to pay for. Like that's, you're just saying, well, that one was not the most important one because they're having the third one and that's the rubber match. Like you just ask people to pay for that match and now you're giving it to them for free. That stinks more. So I don't, you know, the, the champion getting pinned thing, I'm fine with that as long as it's sparingly and it's to set up direct challenges. That's fine with me anyway. So yes, my delete is all triple threat matches being no disqualification. That doesn't, that can make sense in some instances. It made sense in this match that, you have three guys wrestling. A fourth unrelated person enters the match and basically eliminates one guy, you know, brawls with him to the back. Obviously, there's no party at fault there. There's no culpable party between the other two wrestlers for Joey Janela coming out and brawling with uh, Sean Spears. So, you know, fine. Don't disqualify for them for that. Now, if you have a triple threat match and one guy pulls a chair out from under the ring and hits one of the other guys in the head with the chair, you can disqualify that guy. You know, it's a, it, if you're if you're doing if you're running a race and you have five racers and one guy steps out of his lane, it, it's not no disqualification for everybody. You eliminate the one guy and the other four people keep racing. Like that's what a disqualification is. So you know, if if Sean Spears came out and hit Darby Allen in the head with a chair, 
eliminate Sean Spears. He's disqualified. He goes to the back. You can just continue the match with Darby Allen and uh, the other jobber that was in that match. Uh, the librarian, North Furnham. So that's that's my delete. Now every triple threat match is effectively a Cracker Barrel clash. It's a hardcore match. You can pull out a barbed wire bed and put anybody into it in a, in a triple threat match because there are no rules. There's no disqualifications, so there's no limit to what can happen in the ring. That's fucking stupid. It's a wrestling. It's supposed to be a sports competition. So again, have the referee discretion if a fourth guy comes out and nobody else is culpable. But there are plenty of instances in which a disqualification of one competitor would be appropriate. That's my spiel. You know what? I came on here about ready to defend Hangman versus Pac-3. But this wasn't the third match they had. That's right. It was the fourth. Yeah. No. The first one was a no contest. It was a no contest. But to say like this was like the big end of the feud. uh, I mean, the thing about that is really for all the rehab that we went on about how well they rehabbed Hangman Page because they definitely have, when you, take it, when you take Page from the end of All Out to the end of Full Gear, Page was rehabbed. And then you basically had Pac put, a, or Pac put him six feet under. You had him hit Black Arrow and then had him pass, pass out in the Brutalizer. He pretty much came close to, like as he can in a, in a wrestling match, killing him and like burying him at the end of the match. It kind of kills that. But my delete of the week is a minor quibble because actually I really like this episode. I thought this was a really fun episode. And I felt it was like really good, really great episode. Yeah, and I felt like that this kind of answered the questions of okay, how are they going to kind of start things off after a pay per view? I thought they see with that. I'm looking at my trusty notebook here, and when I take notes, I don't create squash matches unless there's something special. But I'm looking at my I'm looking at my notes right now, and there were basically three squash matches on the show. And there's credit to them for being willing to put a squash match on TV. But as soon as as soon as Joey Janela pulled away Sean Spears, that was a squash match. Darby put away Peter Avalon without any effort, really. Like that was that's what it essentially became. So three matches and only really having one match that I would call worth like going out of your way to watch. You know, it was kind of a weak in-ring week for AEW. That all being said. Again, this might be my favorite episode of Dynamite they've had so far because of what all they managed to accomplish. But only one, like one match that I would call actually very good. So that's my delete of the week. On that Joey Janela point, they did a promo on the AEW Twitter account of him finding a camera backstage and cutting a promo into it, which was a, a really good Joey promo. I thought, um, you know, it was not like his funeral home promo where they had these weird cuts. It was just him fucking staring down a microphone and a camera and cutting a good promo. He said he's gone from undesirable like Cody to uncontrollable, which is a good niche for his character. And I just want to say Joey Janela is good. He, um, you know, he's authentic. Uh, there's a story on the wrestlers ordering room service with the, the Jurassic Express show that just came out where he just obviously doesn't give a fuck and he'll say whatever he, you know, actually thinks to Tony Khan. And he's just, you know, that's a real guy. He's a different and unique guy, and unique is good. So I just want to say that Joey Janela is good. I guess somebody made this point to me. I think they're right, and it kind of summed up my thoughts about Joey Janela. Is they should either present him as a superstar, a bad motherfucker, or he should be off TV until they're ready to do that. I don't think Joey can be just a guy in a big time uh, pro wrestling promotion. I think he I think he's he has an element of uh being sympathetic that I kind of think works for him too though. 
because uh, again, because I think he seems authentic and he seems real, you can kind of get behind his human like struggle of like, oh, I've been fucking killing myself for 15 years doing crazy shit to get to this spot. And now that I'm here, you know, I keep losing and shit like I can kind of get behind that human element of him. But I think presenting him as a star is more fun. And the, I think the crowd wants him to be a star. Yeah, I, I think you're right. But it, it leads to like a bigger issue I think AEW has, which is a misunderstanding that there's a huge a huge amount of people who know that about Joey Janela. I don't think they've done a good job of presenting his history so that the mass of the audience can sympathize with him. I uh, That makes sense, except that he's always a little bit more over than I expect. So maybe people do know. Well, because I think they have two audiences. I think they have the audiences of people who come to the shows. I mean, let's look at the fact that Charlotte is one of their best TV audiences and it was their lowest attended uh, TV event. So I think there's an audience who will come watch them live and they know everybody and they know everything. But then there's a million people sitting at home and I think there's a large percentage of them who didn't know everything about Joey Janela or even Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks before they sat down to watch this TV show. And so I would like to see AEW give more meat to all these characters. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. And uh, I do think this episode, again, light on the like great wrestling that they've had in a lot of the other episodes, but had some good just character advancement, had some good storyline advancement. Like after the first, like, three squash matches everybody grabbed a mic and got some mic time like i did enjoy seeing that because that addressed exactly that concern we also got to see the return of the best weapon of the year of course the sock filled with baseballs and i love yeah no like the this was like my squash matches complaint more was just like a pure in ring uh, a here pure in ring like portion of this but like yeah they everyone was able to like push their character forward even with this and I feel like that's an important thing to really say about the show because whatever storylines were still pre-existing move forward. Like, you know how I always stress like character beats, like where, what beat are you taking each week? There were definite beats for the Bucks and, and Proud and Powerful. There was beats for the whole entire Cody, Jericho, MJF storyline. And I mean, there were beats with Spears and Joey Janela. So I feel like that they did a great job of that all the way across. And there was a beat for Brandy and Awesome Con. Yeah, it was just, one of those things I noticed, and if I'm going to have to pick something to delete, I delete the amount of squash matches they had. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind just having TV matches that just exist. Like that's kind of fine for me. If they have like one blowaway match a month or so, I'll be, I'll be happy with that. And uh, other than that, I kind of like to read Twitter during a match sometimes, you know. So <laughs> it's no big deal to me. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, <laughs> on the sock full of baseballs, I like that. Proud, proud and powerful. Fuck. I don't like the name. I like everything about them except the name. They're basically like the baseball gang from the Warriors now. Like on the pay-per-view, they had like <laughs> pinstripe yeah. wrestling gear going on, and they have like a fucking vicious baseball attack. They're like the baseball gang from the Warriors, and I love them. And Dave Dave is talking today about how he thinks they're you know on that tier with the Young Bucks and, and the Lucha Brothers as far as wrestling ability and like star power. And I think one thing I... Th- can say they've done as an unequivocal success from this promotion is uh giving them tons of shine because they've gotten plenty of time to have badass matches they've had squash matches they've had uh long straight ahead tag matches with the bucks they've had video promos um and they've had just promo time yelling into a microphone uh and, and you know attached to a camera um 
and they're just like every week they become more cool <laughs> and more fun to watch. And, uh, but you know, they're still heels. I, th- I think sort of the definitive fan experience I saw a lot in this show was people booing the heels in AEW with big smiles on their faces. Like when Jericho and MJF were promoing or when uh, pride and proud and powerful were brawling through the, I, it, it sucks. LAX were uh, <laughs> brawling through the crowd. Like they would cut the fans and they would be thumbs down booing, but they would have big grins on their faces. And that's like, yes, they're, you know, they're buying in, they're participating and they're having fun while they're doing it. A casual friend just texted me while you were talking and said, and he's, he's just watching dynamite. And he said a squash match. Finally. <laughs> so that's kind of funny. Okay, let's run down uh, Dynamite. They opened up with some highlights from Full Gear. Then we get a video updating us on Kenny Omega's health. There are some shots of him talking to the medical staff uh, interspersed with highlights from his match with Moxley at Full Gear. Omega's got uh, an excellent fake black eye, but I am a little perturbed that that wasn't featured. Excellent. Was it excellent? If you can tell it's fake, it's not excellent. Uh, I was a little perturbed that it wasn't in Stella K's IG post, uh, or I guess she posted on Twitter, but you know, she usually gives us four really good makeup jobs, and uh, I was hoping to see Kenny, but no luck. Uh, this closes out with... Is that a, I, I don't get that joke. Is that a joke? Is she yeah. the actual makeup artist? She has a team, yeah. But she posts okay. every week, she posts like a collage of four of the makeup jobs they did. News to me. Yeah, it's her. Maybe you and... should shout that out on Twitter sometime. <laughs> I, like it... I just assume everybody was seeing it if I was. Well, I don't have an Instagram is my real thing. No, I yeah. think it is on Twitter. Nothing... I think I made that up. Okay. It's her. Nothing good can come from me having an Instagram. (laughs) It's her and TNA's Rebel are the makeup team. Oh, is that right? Stardom Veteran Rebel, I think. Stardom Veteran, yeah. That's right. Uh, This closes with Kenny asking how Mox is doing. And the medical person says, well, he's beat up, but he was cleared for the show tonight. And Great uh, distinction between characters. Yeah. And then Kenny walks out. uh, He's got Michael Nakazawa with him, and they walk out together. And that set up the opening match for Dynamite, John Moxley defeating Michael Nakazawa with the paradigm shift. Uh, I liked, I'm not sure where this came from, but I guess it was after the show Nakazawa said, basically, I knew I couldn't beat him, but I had to stand up for my friend, and this was the only way I could really do it. It's great storytelling for a jobber. Perfect. Yes. And then Mox cuts a promo. He starts, I loved it. He starts, his first line is, that one counts, right? which I enjoyed. He basically says, I told you what would happen. I delivered. Kenny Omega is never going to be the same again. He calls Kenny Omega one radical son of a bitch, which I loved. Point break shout out. Uh, Shout (laughs) shout out to Johnny Utah, my man. Uh, He said, but he respects Kenny for having the balls to fight him because no one else will. And he basically issues an open challenge, which is like the second time he's kind of said open challengey things. And uh, just nobody comes out, which I thought was funny at the time. But that thread will be picked up later in the show. Well, and I think the crowd knew who it was going to be at that point, too. Because, uh, we, you know, we had a friend of the show who said there were a Darby chance at this point in time. Yeah, I was. I did not. Until people started saying it on Twitter, I had no clue that's what was coming. Well, we knew. So Darby had tweeted the day before that he was going to make an appearance. So appearance suggests maybe not wrestling, which suggests maybe he's coming out during a non-wrestling segment. So it makes all the sense in the world. And, of course, that's just a great fucking feud to do because it's you know the, basically the two coolest guys in your promotion. Anyway. Next up, we get the Dark Order defeating the Jungle Express. Evil Uno pinned Marco after the fatality 
big shouts to Iron Mike Spears for putting that uh, move name. Yeah, I remember the Smash Bros. So yeah, oh, the video game gimmick. Yeah, I'm not good with mm-hmm. move names. So uh, that's I like. like uh, sorry, I like that. There's like a hierarchy within the Dark Order, like Evil Uno's the boss, and Stu Grayson or just Grayson is his underling, and he is amassing more underling. Yeah, so we saw that really come out at the end. I, I guess I wasn't real sure about the the interplay there until after the match. We get a promo from Evil Uno, and his first thing is like. Hey, Marco, you know, you're not really uh, being used well here. Why don't you join the Dark Order? Jungle Boy jumps in, uh, throws down the creeper mask that Evil Uno has offered to him. Uno says, I respect that. Put him down. And so it starts with Grayson is the first one to attack. And then the creepers come in. So, yeah, that did set up that idea. Uh, So then we see uh, the crowd starts chanting for Luchasaurus to come back. You know, they're feeling it. And he comes out and, oh. They just erupt. Uh, he clears out the creepers, beats down Grayson. Uh, Marco, you know, gets back in there with them. They all uh, rejoice. Uh, a good time was had by all. The daddy dino. The daddy dino. I love it. The, the one thing we should say about this match was how over Jungle Boy was in this match. Oh, yeah. The crazy crowd was reaction. Thirsty for his hot tag. They love the young hunk. What can we say? Who can blame him? All right. Then we got the Darby match. Darby defeating Sean Spears and Peter Avalon. Uh, he pinned Avalon after the coffin drop. And uh, as as Nate mentioned, uh, Joey Janela came out and, and brawled out of the out of the arena with Sean Spears. And then uh, and Darby was a huge star here. And he has a promo afterward. He not even in a big motion, just like very gently holds his hand up and the crowd just stops beautiful and then he just says john moxley i accept so now and we find out later in the show that it's going to be john moxley versus darby next week so my take on twitter was too soon for these guys to have a match even though i know it's going to rock uh tell me why you disagree with that nate i know you do um because you want to have big john moxley matches to draw crowds and television attention i guess that's my think uh, i think my only real you know, they, they've got a, they've got the difficulty of having a two hour television show is your main storytelling device is you have too much time and too little time. You have too little time to get everyone you want on the show and give them focus and give them character and give them matches and time to show what they're all about. But you have too much time and that eventually you have to have everybody wrestle everybody else. You know, you're eventually going to run out of matchups and run out of match constellations to do. So, you know, I don't think this is going to be a one-match feud. I think this is going to be a ongoing story between the two of them, you know, hopefully with threads from other stories and character advancement and change and all that shit. Um, but, you know, uh, you want to you put on a match that people want to see because it's a real wrestling promotion. You have to draw eyeballs. And as somebody pointed out to me on Twitter, the, the ticket, and I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was, but the, the ticket sales are not great for Indianapolis. So they they might have literally just been trying to sell some tickets to this show. It's just, I think this is a money match down the road somewhere. Of course, once you really elevate Darby to the top of the card, you can redo all this stuff and that'll be fine. But it uh, could be a money match in the future. I'm going to find who it was because I'm going to shout out our, our followers. I, I appreciate that. All right. Nyla Rose defeated Danny Jordan with the Beast Bomb. 
Danny is a student of somewhere. Mike, I know I was, you know. I was right. It was uh, it was ex John Neve, friend of the show, ex John Neve, who I thought John it was, Neve, but I wanted to check before I say it. Yeah, great personal John, friend of the show. John is. Uh, John is always interacting with us. Uh, big friend of the show. Thanks, John, for all your support. We love interactions. We don't like pushback. Don't push back. Push, That's right. push forward. Push forward with us. <laughs> if you say nice stuff, we'll respond. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Danny's uh, trainer is former Deep EE lore fan, AR Fox. She is a student at WWA4 and also trains at QT Marshall's gym. So I don't know if oh, she's pipeline, right. but she's a Georgia native. And yeah, so it looks like that they are, if they're going to get some WWA four people, man, maybe that means we can get the Skulk in here, get them away, get them, get them in onto wow. AEW TV. It just down. occurred to me. Mark it down November 14th or November 15th. If you're listening to this tomorrow, first reference to the AEW pipeline. <laughs> Yeah, I saw that she has done some uh, Southern Honored Wrestling shots. So, yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, but, yeah, I hadn't thought of the possibility. I mean, I think Leon Ruff is WWE pipeline, but uh, maybe we'll have a vibe. Maybe Liam Gray will show up here in uh, AEW. All right, then we have commentary telling us that Dustin Rhodes is a few weeks away from returning to in-ring action. We didn't really talk about that Cody just did not mention that they beat the shit out of Dustin <laughs> last week. So... Glad we're getting back to that. They replay Hager breaking his arm. And they also announced that next week in Indy, there will be a Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal. 12 men start. The final two have a singles match. The winner is the number one contender, I think, and gets a diamond ring. I'm glad we're bringing back ROH, uh, early ROH, like Reign of Mass awards for number one contenders or top prospects. Just weird stuff. Like, let's go with this. Let's have L. Lindemann versus... Uh, well, I was going to say Darby, but let's have El Lindemann versus Jungle Finals so of that. Let's get weird with it. Are they actually the number one contender, or did I make that up? You did. Damn. I thought you might have. Okay. I think somebody said that on Twitter, and they were wrong. We'll not shout them out. This should be, um, you know, Diamond Ring, that's fine, but it would be more fun to do it, like, in Japan and have the winner get a year's supply of curry and shit like that. Why didn't they do a year's supply of Cracker Barrel? Your supply of Cracker Barrel, that'd be fun. I mean, Jimmy Havoc did say he wanted that. So, yeah, and then you can have the Cracker Barrel guy come in the ring as a sponsor and give it to him. That would draw huge. Give me a break. Yes. People love executives in this country. You see the fucking CEO <laughs> of Cracker Barrel out there? They're going to shit their pants. They will. All right, then we have Tony Schiavone. He's interviewing Allie. And this is going to be shocking to everyone. But, folks, the lights went out during a Tony interview and we have awesome kong with brandy she knocks out Allie, and uh you know cuts out i hope this was worked because it was quite a bit of her hair it's probably hair extensions no, right they I, all have hair extensions that's true i didn't think about that i'm very dumb but uh it was a good chunk of hair nice to see continuity from the fight for the fallen feud that was set up however many months ago now and really um, this is like an extension of Brandy's time in TNA. Actually, that gives me when Brandy did her one tour with stardom, did she like get into it with B Priestley? Because that would make sense about who she's having awesome Kong take out. It's possible because she was uh Oedo Tai affiliated, right? When she was in stardom, so yeah, it, it could have been. But I, I don't have a... No, I'm 
being outed as a fake fan here, but I, yeah. I'll have to think about that one. I know, brutal. Anyway, I like the continuity. Uh, I'm an Alley fan, so I'm uh, I'm very mad at Awesome Kong for cutting her hair. Well, we'll get an Alley match. We'll get Alley versus Awesome Kong at some point. She's gonna get squashed, dude. I know. I didn't want to tell I don't, you that. I don't, part, I don't know that Awesome Kong it. can go. You know, twelve minutes. I... Uh, no, probably not. All right, then we have Chris Jericho out at the bottom of the hour. I happened to notice that for his promo, so that was uh, pretty good planning there. And they start with just him. He's, you know, doing his normal shtick. He's the greatest. He wants his thank you. The Nashville fans start chanting thank you. And he says he wants one from the people who matter, not the jackasses in Nashville. Talks about how he's beaten everyone they've put in front of him. He proved Cody isn't as good as he thinks he is. And that leads to Cody's lights coming on, you know, like the chandelier thing. But of course, it's MJF instead. So this was uh, pretty funny and uh, very good, even though you kind of saw it coming. It was still enjoyable. Um, yeah, that was a fucking nice little technique. And obviously the promo between them was awesome. Yeah, no point in bringing down this whole promo. You should go find it and watch it. But basically they were playing back and forth about whether MJF was going to join the inner circle and kind of trying to suggest that they you know, hadn't coordinated anything. And then, of course, by the end, they, they uh, hug. The I guess the best line of this was probably when MJF said uh, he didn't want to keep me under his wing about Cody. He wanted to keep me under his thumb. But Blondie, your thumb ain't big enough to hold me down. Very good line. Great line. And I just like you have two alpha heels. So it's like even though they both want the same thing, neither of them will give an inch to, you know, put themselves beneath the other one. So they don't actually get on the same page about it. It's just like good character stuff. We finally get Cody coming out to the ring. QT Marshall's trying to keep him from going to the ring, but he can't. Cody's too strong for him. Uh, he takes Jericho and MJF out, but botched badly trying to power slam Jericho. And then they repeated. They, the, they covered it for a while, though. Excalibur was like, oh, he's not cleared. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have his equilibrium. Yeah, that was good. Uh, and then, folks, Wardlow is out. He takes out Cody, and then he hangs Cody with his Burberry tie, as Mookie Ghana had to tell us later. <laughs> Devastating. Burberry goon is real, and they're going to fuck people up. I think the MJF and uh, Wardlow pairing is fantastic. <laughs> that was, uh, fuck, that was uh, Pinwiz. Pinwiz came up with Burberry goon, so he's a Chicago guy. I have to shout him out. I listened, I heard it as calling Wardlow the Burberry goon. That works well for us, yeah, it took me a second to put it together. But, okay, here's my concern here. MJF and Wardlow is very reminiscent of Cody and Hager. So you don't want to have Jericho them too close to each other. What? Jericho and Hager. Oh, did I say, I said Cody? Yes. Yeah. MJF and Wardlow is very reminiscent of Jericho and Hager. So you don't want to have – you certainly don't want to have MJF and Wardlow in the inner circle. Uh, no. But you kind of want to keep them away from each other, I would think. Yeah, I think you want your two alpha heel factions separated. Um, I, and I think maybe this is me doing work on behalf of the storytelling, but they did a good job covering for nobody being there to back up Cody because we know Kenny wasn't cleared, so he couldn't get out there. They would stop him like they tried to stop Cody. Uh, Paige was like unconscious from the pack attack, and the Young Bucks were brawling with uh, proud, and, proud and powerful backstage. So... No, you know, just a, uh, I appreciate that that there was a little bit of a reason that he had no backup. 
yeah this was really well done like when i say like they did a lot of stuff to push everyone around they did a good job of like everyone's kind of sphere and their storylines intersecting here and it worked off worked out in a really good way uh i do think that it was kind of fun to see jericho out there with someone half his age like chopping it up and i thought that that was incredibly amusing and especially the fact that his line about maybe his parents got horny watching him beat up Huvatu Guerrero 25 years ago that's another that's going to be one of those Jericho lines that people might forget but in the moment it was just so gleefully happy to to hear that it just was like a great like this was probably their longest in ring angle on tv that didn't close the show and wasn't like a giant schmoz to finish the show and this was a really well-paced version of this because you had Jericho out there for like three minutes doing I and Chris Jericho little champion thing. Then you had MJF doing the psych out, coming down there, them ha- him cutting his Cody promo, then they're back and forth. And then, then you had Cody coming out, then you had Wardlow coming out because it was Wardlow day. And it just was really well-balanced for a 20-minute promo that usually if it was in WWE, we'd have no faith that this would have been executed to this level at all. Yeah, definitely would have dragged in the WWE, but this had like different movements to it. Um, and I also want to shout out um, Shane, friend of the show, Shane, who said that it really feels like this Jericho is the direct continuation of WCW Jericho. Like it doesn't feel like WWE Jericho at all. Like this feels like the Lionheart Chris Jericho as the grizzled heel veteran, which is like kind of, you know, makes sense because this is WCW. But like, you know, you don't you don't feel any of that like uh you know fucking sticky hacky jericho in here so much anyway well this shined because it wasn't overproduced you could feel it this was two guys playing off each other i mean they obviously had an idea what they needed to accomplish when they got out there but the the interaction between the two guys was felt authentic and felt genuine uh and uh so they really got to just show what they could do it was this was an excellent segment. So what we need for Dynamite in the next couple of weeks is Wardlow against Juventud Guerrero and have Wardlow just kill him. We know he's still working. He's worked shows with MJF. We just need Hoovy versus Wardlow to establish Wardlow as a monster. Would be really ballsy to put Juventud Guerrero on TNT. Gotta say. It'd be fine. He's still working. The juice. The juice. <laughs> God knows. I, Just don't I, give him a live mic. That's all I know. No, no mics. Yeah, there's kind of probably a reason why he's not on any major lucha shows nowadays. Because they're scared. AEW is not scared. We know this. <laughs> all right. Pack defeated Adam Page with the brutalizer. I think we've talked about oh, that. Oh, this one. happened after? Blank. Okay. So never mind. My Adam Page justification yeah. was he was preparing for his match with Pack. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> okay, but now that you idea into your head. Fuck. Yeah, I guess it was a really yeah, long. Wasn't, that wasn't good. Thank you. Yeah. So I took half of that. I stole uh, half of that from Alvarez. So that's my excuse. Was I took <laughs> most of that from Alvarez? <laughs> All right. We do see the Bucks uh, backstage brawling with Santana and Ortiz. They put uh, Ortiz through a table. Uh, Santana dives off a forklift. That was fun. Uh, he throws Nick through a door, and Orange Cassidy is just standing there. Owns. Oh, it's like that's he the, doesn't do anything else. Yeah, tremendous. <laughs> Very professional comic timing on him slowly pulling the door shut. Also, 
like a less seasoned performer would have rushed through that. He was like, going to let this settle. And he didn't work. So they brought him here just to do that. So very funny. It, uh, you know, I, I don't know how you use Orange Cassidy in this promotion, really, but they're doing it. So that's much higher degree of difficulty than any comedy that the WWE has attempted. And it's working. Oh, it's working big. Uh, they brawl into the arena. They, uh, as as Mike talked about, they attack Nick's leg with the sock full of baseballs. And that's playing off of uh, Nick's leg being injured, you know, at full gear. And then they put Matt through, you know, the production box there, just like they did Ricky Morton. And then finally, Private Party comes out and breaks this up and uh, sets up a match between Private Party and Proud and Powerful. Next week, this will be the Matt Travis Memorial Match. Uh, Matt Travis, who passed away this past weekend. Uh, and so they will be, uh, they will be, what's the word I want to say here? Commemorating honoring, him, yeah. honoring him with this match next week. Yeah, a couple uh, House of Glory teams there. That's just a cool thing to do. And another great segment here. Like this was them doing stuff that like WWE. And I hate that we uh, we always go back to this, but it's, people like it. People like it. Uh, all right, th- th- then fuck it. Uh, WWE <laughs> has terrible brawls. And, yeah. And, and in past like the past two weeks, they had the amazing go home brawl in Charlotte where. Nick Jackson fucking did a Sentana Tomico off of the, the barrel into them. And then you had a great like backstage brawl into the in, into the stage and it was great. And like there was the really great uh, Eddie Guerrero reference that they made about saying, oh, we're done. We're done. Guess what? We lied. And then going right after it. Like seriously, pri- like it is such a great thing to see and proud and powerful are, have quickly have become one of my favorite acts in this company. And like as I've been saying the entire time, they get over by doing completely heelish things. And it's just that they are awesome at it. And they just have like a certain level of identity. That's awesome. And it's great to see them just basically constantly have the bucks number. And now we can see if the bucks like friends, private party can save them. Like this is great storytelling. This works. Yeah. They just, when they become big enough stars, they have to ensure that AEW hires Chris Dickinson. That's all. That's what I want them to do with the power that they gain. Cosine. And I mean, then Chris Dickinson's get, on Twitter putting over the show. Like, what more do you want? I thought that was the key. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. He's got to, he needs to go viral again. Uh, but That's maybe right. not, not by power bombing a woman. <laughs> <He'd> be, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, on that uh, wrestlers ordering room service, Matt Jackson talks about how he basically hired Jungle Boy off of the gif of him doing the exploding moonsault to the outside. And it's like, basically that so yeah we just need dickinson to do one big crazy fucking thing have janella send the gift to the jacksons and then he's in that's it you think there's like a whole universe of of indie wrestlers out there just thinking like what can i do that will blow up and AEW will notice me if they're smart i don't know if we have that many smart guys left but that's <laughs> i mean like that's how the bucks got over in the first place is they were out there doing uh, shooting selfies while doing moonsaults and shit and super kicking children. And I was like, oh, that's like a memeable wrestling spot. And that's why they're the first postmodern wrestlers. Anyway. I mean, if you really want to go back further, you have to check Taylor's music videos on YouTube making children cry at IWA Mid-South and Deep South. So, I mean, like there's a level of like history of doing things to become either semi-viral because that, Chris- that Chuck Taylor video was semi-viral at that time to the Bucks like being the epitome of postmodern wrestling, 
to now like Joey Janela being the internet me wrestling me tastemaker of saying like, Oh, this, this will be funny. This will be great. Like, it just makes sense. Like that's actually the true AEW pipeline is doing something ironic and pulling it off on Twitter for wrestling. Main event SCU Kazarian and Scorpio sky defeated Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara when Scorpio rolled up Jericho. So at least it also was a roll up, but that's two roll up of the champions. So I'm just out on that. But anyway, we talked about that match, I guess. Yeah. Kind of like the most flat main event they've had, I think on their TV to this point, just, I don't, again, the, the crowd, this crowd likes SCU, but I don't know if they're with them for a lengthy main event. To this degree, that seemed to be kind of the uh, that's where I sort of found the uh, the friction point there. So I also think I <laughs> saw, so, you know, again, I have the fight TV feed where they have no ad breaks. And I saw the extremely extended SCU Christopher Daniels promo before this match. And they just they need a new bit or something or it's time to break Scorpio off. And like, I just think the SCU thing is long in the tooth and it's not quite to that main event level. Well, they also kind of felt like they were going through the motions in this SEU promo. It didn't feel, didn't have the vigor that it sometimes has. But that yeah, could have just been me being tired of it also, I suppose. Might be. All right. Full gear happened like a year ago at this point. Uh, and we did an instant reaction show. So go back and listen to that. Uh, unless either of you has anything specific that you, you still just feel tugging on you from full gear. Nate? Um, no, it was a good show. I really liked it. You got to check out the Patreon, I guess. Hard sell on the Patreon. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I've let marinate and I wanted to kind of leave marinate over this is people thinking that the lights out match was the most extreme or either not extreme enough match. J just two things. One, yes, that match was long said all the set pieces and that showed a little bit of an experience in them doing these giant set pieces. And two, this is a major U.S. promotion Do you, that has television network backing. Did you all fucking really believe that they were going to have razor boards out there and light tubes? Come on. Like, like just, Do just light think. tubes. It's I not going to happen. This was, uh, that was sugar glass that they had. Like, th that's not going to happen. Like, the fact that they even had, like, mouth traps was something. It, like, it's just not going to happen. So people just... Just, just use your brain, and I know that our listeners are very wise and well-thought-out people. That It makes sense why this match was to the level it is, and that's probably to the level you can expect from AEW. So don't don't go thinking you're going to get a fucking Takeda match out there, guys. I think that uh, that whole spiel was fully an element of being too inside the wrestling bubble. I think only like real deathmatch freaks were like, that match was not hardcore enough. Well, I'm people pretty, were like, all, all, yeah, the <laughs> that's what I'm saying. People on Twitter that were like, oh, where are the razor boards? Like, those aren't normal people, Mike. <laughs> well, well, I mean, also, you had like, yeah, Dave fucking Melzer saying it was five times worse than a big Japan match. And I'm like, come right. on, he did, know the he fucking did, room. <laughs> he did walk that back because he was clearly out to lens. That show was really weird to listen to because he really did act like <laughs> it was like shortening their careers and shit. Um, and then had to walk it back because he so clearly demonstrated that he is not keeping up on big Japan or even the state of like your mid-tier deathmatch wrestling. Um, but yeah, you know, <laughs> we're not light, like, you know, we're not going to see light tubes. We're just yeah. not. And I don't think you should have light tubes in a major league promotion anyway. Cause you, 
you know, you wouldn't put Kazuchika Okada in a light tube match and say so you shouldn't do it in this company because you want it to be that kind of thing. If, but, you know, they're fucking awesome to see. So it's great that, you know, wrestling is a medium and not a genre and you can get that from other places in wrestling. It honestly was more brutal than I ever expected it would be. Oh, and some of their spots were really cool. The fucking glass spot where you had to crawl through the glass was awesome. And like, it is a great sort of deathmatch psychology where it's like, you're putting the deathmatch con, you're putting a a wrestling struggle into a deathmatch context where he has to, you know, uh, 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 show his strength of will in order to win this match and, and do that and then pull himself basically out of the hold by the ropes. So, yeah, I, I was also surprised. Um, but yeah, I, you know, my my take from the instant reaction show still holds true, which is that the barbed wire bed was just kind of one big production too many, one set piece too many, where it kind of slowed things down a little bit too much. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it was cool. What's funny about the Dave take is it was probably like the safest match Kenny Omega has had like a big time match in a long time. Like, <laughs> yeah, except for that that Phoenix spa- splash was. You know, oh, yeah. we we can't. I I don't want to understate how much that probably fucking hurt because that looked real bad. Yeah. So uh, go to the Patreon to hear our instant reaction show. Five bucks. I do want to remind everybody. I didn't say this earlier that our Patreon charges up front. So if you subscribe today, you will get charged however much you subscribe for, and you'll get charged that amount again on the first of the month. So I don't want anybody to feel like they. Uh, that we left that out. We want you to know that upfront before you subscribe. But if you subscribe today, you'll get all the content that we've already put out this month. So, you know, it all evens out in the end. Okay. AW Dark, episode seven. This is what they recorded for this week. A crazy card for AW Dark. Yeah, Strong buddy. Heart, T-Hawk and L. Lindemann versus the Young Bucks. I can't fucking wait to see this. This match, like, first off, like there was like some scuttlebutt about Linda maybe with like a visa thing and that's why he hasn't been back yet but I usually keep track of Shima when I want to see what Strong Hearts is up to and he's in Cambodia this week with OWE so I was like oh yeah he's not gonna be on shows and then fucking T-Hawk and El Lindemann show up to Nashville facing the fucking Young Bucks and I'm cursing a lot because I'm this excited about this match fired up folks I am fired up like this is why you watch AEW Dark like this match is going to fucking rule and the rest of this card has a lot of exciting things too so hell yeah AEW Dark like this is let's go this is they're probably going to be the best episode of the whole entire run I want Lindemann to bring back the Sakura tights Sakura Sakura tights the cherry blossom tights nah he's like a face paint pervert now nah cherry blossom tights are too cool bring those back Lindemann I think you're a face in this promotion so you should have them we got Big Swole and Chris Statlander taking on Britt Baker and Riho. Statlander was heavily rumored to be heading to the Fed, and yet here she is. Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> if, if if they got mad that her that she revealed that she was going there and they retracted her offer, uh, that's AEW's gain. Uh, you know, that's like a that, that probably didn't happen, but she was literally reported to have signed there and was. Uh, you know, rumored to have been going there prior to that. So, um, yeah, she's like the marquee women's name on the indie scene right now. So great to see that they're giving her a look here. Yeah. And this is a match that I think really can further her cachet. 
that that whole situation, my belief is that WWE has been finicky before with contracts. She might just be on ice and be like, do it like this. But if she's on ice and hasn't signed, or even if she has signed because of how bullshit their contracts are, good, good on them for trying to at least bring her in at least once, maybe seeing what might be there for Chris Statt in AEW. Main event, private party taking on the best friends. I mean, these are this is three TV matches, at least TV level matches. Some of these are pay-per-view matches. Very exciting. Can't wait. If you want to yeah, hear Mike and I talk about AW Dark, we will be doing that on AW Light next Wednesday morning. Those usually drop around, I don't know, 1030 or so on Wednesday mornings after we uh, record it. And Mike does all the hard work of editing and gets them out for you. So, And that's available on the $3 tier on our Patreon. That's all, right. all for the November BT 20th. Quick Hits went, if you're looking for those. That's right. Nate does the BT Quick Hits. Those are at the end of AW Light. We've already talked about what's going to be on November 20 in Indianapolis. John Moxley versus Darby Allen, Private Party versus Proud and Powerful in the Matt Travis Memorial Match, and the Dynamite Dozen Battle Royale. And, you know, if they announce anything else, we'll also be talking about that on AW Light next week. Uh, a few other notes quickly. The Tate Twins were backstage at Dynamite. So if you remember the boys from Dalton Castle's act in Ring of Honor, they're free agents, and it looks like they were at least uh, coming for a visit for uh, AEW. So they'd be a fun addition, I think. Yeah, fine undercard uh, you know, team. But if they're going to keep track of these wins and losses, then we need we need teams for other teams to beat. So. Speaking of wins and losses, uh, Nick Jackson confirmed on Twitter that the records will reset at some point. So that'll be nice from like a storytelling perspective that we can kind of start over somewhere and not be, you know, burdened by these long term records. Yeah, this should be pretty cool. I think that there are some natural points where they can do a reset, maybe at double or a nothing three or triple or nothing or whatever they're calling their May show that's likely to happen in Las Vegas. I think that'd be a good point where you can just do it by calendar year just do like this is their 2018 record the 2019 record the 2020 record there's a lot of easy ways to do a reset in my mind all right the last thing i wanted to tell everybody about is you can check out me ab on wrestling omakase that's on the voices of wrestling podcast network or you can just search wrestling omakase and you'll find it we discuss full gear so if you haven't heard me talk about full gear enough we break that down first but we also talk about the stardom november 4th show in Corican the Noah 11-2 show at Ryogoku, and Seedling's 11-2 show. Don't remember where that was, but it's the big Nanai uh, Risa match. So uh, John Carroll is the host of that, and Taylor Mamberg was also, I think it's Mamberg, and I just fucked that up, but he won't listen this long as a podcast, so no big deal. Uh, so yeah, go check that out. It was a lot of fun. That's pretty much it. You guys got anything else? Nope. Okay, I've plugged the Patreon enough, so I'm not going to do that again. I'll just say it's patreon.com slash everything elite. Uh, but make sure you're following. You did it. I did it one more time. But I forgot to say the URL last time, so we're just even now. Everything AEW on Twitter. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fujiheya. Subscribe to this bad boy. Get this still free every uh, Thursday. Rating, review, all that good stuff. That's it. We'll be back next week. For Mike, for Nate. I'm Aaron. See you next time.